0: I encourage you to turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 15 this morning. I keep thinking about the importance and the necessity of the union that the Christian has with the Lord Jesus and how central this truth is to our salvation, to our continued growth and maturity in Christ, that sanctification that we're familiar with, the inheritance that we have. That's all been accomplished and sealed uh, in union with Jesus. We find the the foundations of union with Christ in the Old Testament and that continues into the Gospels, the letters in the New Testament. So we're going to spend some time in John this morning, probably the next several weeks as well, uh, in the seven statements that Jesus uses to describe who He is, describe why He came. Uh, He uses seven very distinct Pictures, metaphors in John's gospel. I did not intend to do that. And then this last week, studying John 15, which is the last of these metaphors, I thought we're going to see this union, I think, through all of these uh, statements. So I think we'll do that over the next um, month or so. Uh, But at this point in John's gospel, Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's not going to be with them for very much longer. Um, There are some things that they... Understand about Jesus, there are a lot more things that they just don't get yet, and so He has uh, this word for them uh, before His departure, and it's an instructive word, but it's also a comforting word. Um, it's so beautiful how Jesus does both of these things—a word that they need to know, a word that that we need to know. Jesus is the very source of life, the very enabler of life for the glory of God. Uh, So you might picture Jesus, he's walking with his disciples towards that Mount of of Olives. And maybe he turns and he, he sees the entrance of the temple and there's this sort of elaborate golden vine hanging over the end. We don't know this for sure, but maybe as he's walking with his disciples. And that triggers what we read here in John chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We're going to stop there at the end of verse 11. Let's pray together. Lord we thank you for this word that you have given to us. A word before our Our Savior completes the mission for which He came. Lord, we're grateful that You have spoken to us in a way that we can understand, in a way that we can take to heart, in a way that we need You, Holy Spirit, to work in our hearts, in our lives. You have called us to abide. Lord, show us clearly what that means, why it is so important, Show us that you and you alone are life. Guide us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how are you doing? I'm serious. When I ask a question, I really want to know how you're doing. And maybe you've been asked that question more than, than once in this last week, or you have asked someone else that question. So how are you doing? Maybe you asked somebody this morning. It's usually the first thing that we can think to say when we see somebody, right? How are you doing? Um, and I, I've been thinking about how I typically answer that question and the answers that I hear from others. Um, well, I'm tired. I'm busy. Well, I'm, I'm doing okay. Well, I'm fine. Well, I'm here, which is usually code for not doing real well but don't want to get into it. I'm here. Uh, well, I'm frustrated. I'm I'm worried. Well, I'm I'm not sure. I'm doing. Um, Do any of those fit how you typically answer that question? Um, And I think they're honest answers. I want them to to be honest answers. Yeah, I wonder sometimes, as as Christians, if we give the impression to each other or to those observing us that we are often rather, rather miserable. Um, or just generally unhappy folk. Um, I mean, let, let's be honest. The, the wilderness journey is hard. It's really, really hard. The cares and concerns that you've encountered just this last week would, would be different as we went around the room. Um, our own sin, the sins of others against us, they weigh us down. And, and I want you to sort of build this expectation, even in us, that. Christians are somber, serious, sad, generally you know, un, unhappy. I mean, look, look at our life. Uh, it's like the a bumper sticker I saw at, at the neighborhood market just down the street this last week. Um, it had a picture of the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wondersland and then just said, we're all mad <laughs> on the back. Uh, is that us? Are we all mad? Um, is there you know, this attitude, demeanor response that we're expected to convey, is that the attitude in this already not yet existence called our life and God's work in our life? Um, so I'm not calling you to be dishonest here, to plaster on the smile and to just fake being happy in your responses. But the words of Jesus here show us a, a reality for the Christian those who are genuinely following the Lord as disciples, that that produces something in us. Maybe even a different response to a question just like that. How are you? How are you really doing? We may be fine. We may be tired. We may be busy. We may be okay. How are we doing in Jesus? And so Jesus uses a, a picture, a metaphor here, to tell His disciples what they are to be about in His absence how they are to be about it. It's a powerful picture. And we find the Apostle Paul uses a similar picture in the New Testament when he refers to the church as a body. And everyone everyone in the church, a member of that body with Jesus as the head. Here, Jesus is the vine. Every disciple, a branch connected to the vine, bearing fruit or not bearing fruit in obedience to him. So it's important for us to spend some time hearing Jesus speak to us of the plant, the process, and the product of this uh, union with Him, uh, He says, "I am the true vine." So, those first true, those first two words, it should grab our attention because we've, well, we've heard those first two words before. If you're familiar with the great story, we know that there is only one who can say with absolute, unchanging, all the time confidence, "I am." the god who is who always will be is the i am the one who is gracious and compassionate slow to anger abounding in steadfast love faithfulness so you thought you were done with exodus but we're never really never really going to leave no matter where we land in the great story so the deity the union of jesus with the father it's evident even from those first two words I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener, the vine dresser. So if Jesus is the true vine, it means there must be an untrue vine. Or a vine that's not doing what a vine was supposed to do. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel are often referred to as the vine. Uh, You brought a vine out of Egypt You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. We read that in Psalm 80. Think of how God delivers his people. He loves them. He cares for them. Uh, They are his vineyard that he plants, nourishes, brings them to that promised land. Now here's the opening verses of Isaiah 5. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It shall be devoured. I will break down its wall. And it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. Briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice. But behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold an outcry. Uh, yikes. That does not sound good. Um, the vine is not producing the fruit that the vine dresser intended. Um, Israel is an unfaithful vine, trampled down. They'll be displaced in the exile and the judgment of God. In the old testament we we don't read of the Messiah as a vine, but more so as a tree, a strong tree. You go to Ezekiel chapter 17 as an example of that. So Jesus is using a familiar picture here of the vine, but in a slightly, slightly different way. Um, common in John's gospel is that Jesus presents himself as the fulfillment of Israel. He is the true and faithful vine who produces the desired fruit of, of the vine dresser pleasure of the gardener so we see the vine the vine dresser working in perfect harmony here they have the same purpose jesus succeeds where israel fails so to be a part of the true israel of god's renewed people one must follow and be united through the true vine so we're going to get to the, the process of bearing fruit and what that looks like and so forth but first we need to understand the plant and the importance of our relationship To that true vine. In the previous chapter, again, providing comfort, assurance to his disciples, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it sounds like if we really want to understand life, if we want to walk in the way of truth, if we want to be restored and pleasing to the vine dresser, that only happens in Jesus and through Jesus. And church, I know how important relationships are to you. Because I know how important they are to me. We've been made to share life in relationships among families, coworkers, fellow students. It just underscores the, the importance of the church as a family. Intended to be relational. But you see, we can't get out of this first verse without seeing the most important relationship of all. Your relationship with Jesus, your walk with Jesus as the true vine, is the most important, the most necessary relationship that you have. No other relationship touches this, however strong those bonds may be in your life. And it's a relationship that's going to have to be pursued and cultivated and guarded. I mean, just think about how, how much time, how much of our days are spent tending relationships. I think you could make a case for all day, every day. Really. I mean, keeping trust, keeping peace, providing instruction, correction, encouragement, warning. I mean, this is all day, every day. It's happening among parents, spouses, coworkers, neighbors, children. But here it is. If your relationship with Jesus is superior to all the rest. It's defining for all the rest of those relationships. However it is that you are known or that you desire to be known is a distant second to being found in Jesus. Being known of Him. Whatever credentials you have, whatever credentials that you may be seeking, they will not stand up, not endure to being found in Christ, securely grafted into the vine. So are you cultivating that, cultivating that superior relationship above all else? So Jesus goes on to speak two different types of of branches that are connected to the vine, branches that do not bear fruit, the branches that do bear fruit. Um, Both types are attended to by the gardener. Uh, One he cuts off, ends up in the burn pile. The other he prunes, So that more fruit will grow. All who are connected to Christ, who have ever known or professed uh, the name of Jesus, one of these two types of branches, brings us to some important questions. How about the branches that are cut off? Are these just unfruitful, uh, unfaithful Christians? Uh, Can a Christian, in union with the vine, in union with Christ, actually forfeit their salvation if there is no fruit? That's, that's an important question. I think the answer kind of shows itself so We give attention to other places in John's Gospel and in the New Testament. John chapter 3, John chapter 5 speaks of the great assurance and security that true believers have in Christ. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son on five truly truly i say to you ever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and is not condemned crossing over from death to life you see the lord does not lose any that he saves unto eternal life he does not lose any that are grafted into the vine but he cuts off in judgment those who are connected to the vine but are dead no fruit shows that, that the branch was never connected to the vine in a, in a life-giving way. There is life. There is fruit. They go together. Had some issues with our internet cutting in and out at the house these last, uh, last week or so. And the, one of the first things they do or they recommend in troubleshooting this is to check all of your cords, all the connections. Make sure you've got the power and make sure you've got the, you know, the coaxial screwed on there um, they may look connected and they all did but there's there's either no electricity no the signal is broken because they're not fully connected to the source so jesus is sharing with his disciples again not long after judas has left their company here's judas one of their own hanging out with them following jesus a branch connected to the vine but we learn that Judas is never really joined with Jesus. Verse 2, verse 6. An important call to repentance for all who would align with Christ to worship Him alone or face judgment and the torment of God's holy wrath. No fruit, no love for God, no love for, for neighbor. Jesus says, depart from me. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Say, well, Lord, we went to church. Look at all those times we went to church. We gave all that money. I was even baptized. I've I've got the certificate here somewhere. Um, Many, not, not a few, not a couple, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do mighty works in your name? Depart from me. I never knew you. You may have been a fan, but not a follower. So it's a clear warning. A warning, a call to repentance, fruitfulness. Don't go the way of Judas. Don't go the way of the Antichrist that that John will speak of in his letters. Those that lived with and among the Christians, but did not endure. They departed, showing that they never truly belonged to God's people to begin with. Uh, These are cut off, but the fruitful are pruned. Uh, It sounds painful, and it can be just that. But it's for a purpose, to produce more fruit. Um, If you're an avid gardener, if you're into horticulture, you know the importance of pruning. Um, Cutting back, removing parts of the live plant uh, so that it can flourish and bear more fruit. Last summer, I I was determined to keep the bushes in the front of our house looking trimmed and clean. And so I got out the hedge trimmers. I ended up getting the hedge trimmers out every week because they just kept exploding after I trimmed them. So this week or this year, I took a little different tactic. I said, I'm just gonna let those things go, not touch them. So I took out the, the clippers you know, last week for the first time, but they weren't growing much anymore. They're looking a little scraggly. Uh, but they're not they're not bearing any more fruit. The father prunes the fruitful branches united to the vine. He just tells the disciples, verse 3, that they have been pruned, which is kind of an interesting thing. It's the same word used in the previous sentence. You are clean. You are pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. So the disciples had received the life-giving instruction from the Father through Jesus. They're cleansed of their sin by Jesus, through Jesus. He tells them that they are are clean he does this one other time in chapter 13 a couple chapters earlier right after he washes their feet he says do as i have done for you walking the footsteps of jesus serving yes even suffering is the pruning that they needed This is the the fruit-bearing process described in verses 4 and 5. Only abiding in the vine can the branch bear fruit. There's going to be no growth, no fruit apart from the vine. Abide in me and I in you. So here's that union. Here's that mutual indwelling between Christ and the believer. So Jesus uh, tells His disciples, He tells you, He tells me, abide in Him. Remain. Continue in him how do we start abiding well how are we first united to the vine united by faith the grace of of god the divine gardener is the one who grafts us into christ it's jesus his living word that that cleanses us and prepares us for this this is all of god's grace uniting us seeing how the father is determined to to see his branches grafted in, to determine to see the fruit uh, that they bear in their lives. Probably some some way you you hear the emphasis here. Um, All our spiritual nourishment is found in Christ. Um, He is the life for the branch. So being connected to the vine by faith is looking away from ourselves, away from our sin, being found in Christ. Christ. Not looking at ourselves and trying to somehow, you know, get Jesus into us. Looking outward, fixing our gaze, our affection upon Jesus. It was the the Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, said for every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Now imagine for a second, if you took ten looks at Christ, remembering who He is, His love, His compassion, His sacrifice, all those things, ten looks how might that change your response to how are you doing today? Um, faithfulness in the Christian life, fruitfulness, um, it's not something that you and I are going to accomplish on our own. This is not based on human achievement, not based on credentials, experience. This is not a call to self-improvement. Um, this fruit comes only in union with Jesus. Jesus. Life is in the vine. We're called to abide, bear uh, His fruit in us. So very practically then, um, what we do with our Bibles every day, that's inseparably connected to our relationship with Christ and the fruit that we will bear. Uh, He is the one who brings about this fruit in us. What is the fruit? Certainly the character uh, described in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We, we prayed these very things a few minutes ago. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Is this, is this how others know us? It should be. Actually, I need to rephrase that. It must be if we are grafted into the vine. If we are abiding in the love of Christ. We abide through obedience, showing our love to God, love for neighbor. Jesus exemplifies this in his own love. He loves, obeys perfectly where we do not. And it's because of this that we continue to obey and desire to. And the fruit really adds up to all the, the benefits of life lived independence upon Christ. I mean our, our work, our witness is the fruit of abiding with Jesus. I think later in verse 16, Jesus says, I chose you and appointed. You, that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So go, share this with others. Testify to me. This is the fruit of abiding with me. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Lord will see this fruit in us. He will prune us to bring it about. By His good providence, by His wise providence, He's going to strip away otherwise otherwise, good things um, to deepen our faith, to grow us, to grow our love for Him. Don't, don't fear this, but do not be surprised by it either. Um, it, may be, it may be painful, loving discipline of a perfect Heavenly Father who always does what is good, who always does what is best. Hebrews 12 here, disciplines, He prunes those that He loves. We might share in His holiness. I just think there's no branch that is exempt from this. And so we face certain temptations. We may suffer certain losses. Disappointment. Discouragement. And I think of so many here at at Trinity. Um, I just think how much He loves you. How much He loves you. To prune the faithful that they would bear more fruit for His glory. So in those times of pruning, we face the Lord, Lord, do Your good work in my life that I might bear the fruit that You desire. Maybe that simple prayer. And even to make that prayer Even to cry out to God in the midst of the pruning. um, That's abiding in the love of Christ. Um, You know the warning in verse 6? It's followed by a promise in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The words of Christ abiding to remain in Him, to submit to this gospel message in all of life. Let it have full full influence, full sway over our lives. Prayer then is a means, of, it's a means of fruitfulness, but it's also a product of it. Verse 7, later in verse 16. We're bound to Christ. We're living in obedience to Him. Then our praying is in Jesus' name. Our prayers are, are using His account in accordance with His will, which the Father cannot deny. Think how we underestimate the power of prayer. He can't can't refuse his own. It may not be in the way that we expect. It may not be in our timeline. Um, But then again, do we really know what we need to pray? Um, We offer up our thoughts in the moment to the Lord with the confidence that the Spirit of Christ knows the real prayer, knows what it need, or know what it is we need, and it takes, takes that prayer before the Father where it's not refused. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, he put it this way, as his, word tells, as his word dwells in us and his spirit fills us, we'll begin to pray in a way consistent with the will of God. Another part of the, the product of abiding in Christ is the glory, the glory that it brings to the Father. Verse 8, think how Jesus prays to the Father in chapter 17, I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So it's his desire, it's his goal. To bring glory to the Father. In all that he did. His life shows that. Did exactly that. So our desire and our prayer is the same. To bring glory to God. Faithfully abiding in the vine. Enduring, living in obedience to the one that we love. So there's a special sort of connectedness, interconnectedness. Between love and obedience and joy in these verses. You're starting to pick that out. Jesus is instructing but he's also comforting. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, that your joy may be full. Um, We want to work, we want to obey for the joy of the one we love. Because the more joy that our love has, the more joy we have. So joy is the last part of the the product we see here in verse 11. What is this joy? Where does the joy of Jesus come from? Again, his high priestly prayer, he offers uh, later on to the Father in 17, verse 13. But now I am coming to you. Sounds like a clue there. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Previous chapter, again, Jesus assures his disciples. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. This sounds like relationship. It sounds like communion. The joy of Jesus comes from his relationship to the Father. It's an intimate union. Constantly receiving the Father's love. It's a love he shares with you, with me. As we abide in the Lord Jesus. A couple of verses later in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So here is the, the greatest love-driven joy ever known. And Jesus says it can be known by us. By his disciples if we abide in him. One commentator says, human joy in a fallen world will be at best shallow and incomplete until overtaken By the love of God in Christ. Keep the love of God in Christ before you daily. Before you hourly. Maybe by the minute. Nothing. No one will steal your joy. So how are you doing? How are you doing really? Honest question. We'll answer it honestly. I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm sad. I'm okay. But Jesus is my life. I am known by my Savior. There is nothing, no one that can can take His love from me. Christ is mine. I am His. Bound to Him. Grafted into the vine that actually enables me to bear fruit. His abiding love. So in this mess, I have a joy that's really hard to describe. I have a a hope and a peace that, that surpasses all understanding. Christian, is that your heart response? Maybe so as we, the Word of God dwells in us richly. Let's pray together. Lord God, we want to respond honestly as your creatures. We get to as we build relationships to know each other and others more. Lord, underneath all of these answers, of busyness and tired and hurting, disappointed, excited. Under all these answers is a life that is hidden with you. Lord, bear much fruit through us, we pray. May this fruit be our desire as we abide in your love. Oh, what love you have shown us. Oh, what love is ours. Lord, grow our joy as we abide in this love. We might delight in you all the more. We thank you for this word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.